Be there? Yeah. Uh, man, it's been a while. So I'm hoping this is kind of like riding a bicycle. It might be like eating a bicycle. We'll find out. Uh, so I'm going to start with, I guess prom has been recently, or it's coming up or something. I'm not really, the, is, okay, I've got nods on, my, on people's heads, so apparently prom has been recently. Uh, so I'm going to tell a little story I know, and just for sake of argument, we're going to say it's about Sean. Uh, and so way back in the day, uh, 15, 20 years ago when Sean was in high school, <laughs> we'll stick with that, uh, uh, he wanted to ask out this girl for, for prom, and it was his first prom, he was so excited, and so he wanted it to be special, one of the promposal type things. And so he, so he goes to uh, the florist, and there's a huge line, because a lot of people had this idea to be special and unique. And so there's a long line to get into the florist, he finally gets in there, he picks a bouquet, he loves it. He goes to ask out the girl, and, and he makes it really special, he asks, she says yes, that's awesome. And then now the business of getting ready. And so he has to go get a tuxedo and a corsage, and he goes to get the tuxedo, and everybody seems to go on the same day, so there's a super long line that day also. And, you know, he finally gets it, he picks out a nice Cincinnati Reds tuxedo, and so he's all excited and ready. And then he gets the corsage, another line, because it's apparently that is the most popular florist in town. And so he goes to the line, he stands there, he waits. And then, you know, they, they, he picks her up, they go to the dance, the prom, and everything's so special, and it's a space theme too, actually, ironically enough. And uh, not because I just came up with that, but because it really was. And so uh, they go in, and there's a huge line to get in, and people are giving out their tickets, and there's a little security and all that. And then there's the photo booth, and so they really wanted to commemorate the, the moment, and so there's a line to get into the photo booth. And then, you know, they're about to dance, and he's like, I really want to have some punch. Would you like some punch? And she's like, yes. And so he gets ready, and to his surprise, there was no punchline. <laughs> it did. That was the point. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so we are continuing the Alive series. And I'm going to talk about one of my favorite stories in the Bible, one of my favorite moments, my favorite interactions in the Bible. But before I get to that, it's going to be Peter and Jesus talking. And so as I read this, I don't want you to jump ahead to what's going to happen. I want you to try to put yourself into Peter's place. Try to imagine what it was like for him. And this is not the first meeting of them since Jesus had come back, but it's kind of the first public one, the first big one, where it's not such a surprise to see him, and, and there's not so many emotions. It's just kind of talking. And so Peter definitely has on his mind and heart denying Jesus three times, basically betraying him. So I want you to put that in your mind and imagine that. Think about that as we go forward. Uh, so this is John 21, 15 through 24. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, uh, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. So the title of my message today is Rewind. Uh, and I have a cool little slide, and I'm curious about something. How many people understand the relationship between that tape and that pencil? Okay, see, I just divided 
the congregation in half based on age right there. So back in the day, you had to use those to rewind the tapes. But this moment is Jesus allowing Peter to rewind in a way, not to erase what had happened, but to give him a chance to make it back. And what's so amazing is Peter didn't fully realize it at the time, and that's why I wanted you guys to kind of imagine that, because in Peter's mind, especially at first, and especially when Jesus calls him Simon, because Peter meant rock and Simon meant reed, and so Jesus had changed his name to Peter, saying, you'll be the rock of the church, and so that probably felt like a dagger right there. It's like, Simon, but that's not Jesus attacking him. It's not Jesus throwing it in his face. It's Jesus leading him along step by step, individually, allowing him to experience all of this, allowing him to experience uh, forgiveness on such a different level. And he did it subtly, and he did it importantly, and he did it personally, and all of this for Peter's benefit, for the disciples' benefit. And so he asks him, do you love me more than these? And so all the disciples are around, and Peter, throughout Jesus' ministry, throughout his time with Jesus, had over and over and over again said, I love you more than anyone loves you. Like, I love you the most, and proclaimed it and yelled it. And then he had that moment of failure, that moment of denying him three times. And so Jesus is asking him, again, not to throw it in his face, but to give him a chance to say yes, to, to start to rebuild his life, to start to go back, to, to step, to, to restarting everything. Again, not to erasing it but to learning from it, to moving forward, to building on it, to, to becoming new again. And again, he asked him after each question, do you love me? And then he had a command, then feed my sheep, then tend my sheep. He's telling him to serve in the office of shepherd. Now, where do we hear shepherd? We hear it as Jesus. Jesus talked about himself as the shepherd. So that's a major thing. That is huge, and I have no idea if Peter realized at the time all of this that is happening, he may have just felt like, man, he doesn't trust me, he's asking me, and then the second time, man, I, I just don't know why is he asking me this, and then it says that he's hurt in the third time. He's not hurt by Jesus, he's hurt because that, again, reminded him of those three denials, those three denials that he so proudly said would never happen. Those three denials that, that to him now defined his life. Everything else that he'd done before that, all the good, all the, the, the ministry, he was so feeling like that didn't matter, that the only thing that mattered, the only thing that defined him were those moments of failure. And so now here Jesus is asking him three times, do you love me? Now Jesus could have easily just walked up to him and said, Peter, I forgive you. Or, or to make it a little easier for him, Peter, are you sorry? And then Peter obviously would have said, yes, yes, yes. And then he said, I forgive you. Or he could have uh, individually said, Peter, do you promise you'll never do this again? And again, Peter would have jumped at that. But Jesus knew that Peter needed to go through this, to feel this, to have the, the three acceptances, the three verbal yes, the opposite in almost every way of what he'd done. And again, it doesn't erase that. But it allows him to begin to heal. It allows him to begin to proclaim him publicly. It allows him to show who he really is. And he does it individually. And that's so amazing. And he challenges him to love. He challenges him to lead. He challenges him to be a disciple again. All in front of everyone else who is watching. Everyone else who was probably starting by whispering like, oh, 
Jesus is going to give it to him this time. Oh, man, I feel I wouldn't want to be Peter. But Jesus only looked at Peter and had this perfect plan for him. And that's so amazing. Now, think about that. Jesus, between resurrection and the ascension, had a limited amount of time on earth. And there's a lot he wanted to do. He wanted to talk to people. He wanted to minister. He wanted to prepare his followers for starting churches, for building on his ministry. But he took time individually for Peter. He took time individually for Thomas. He took time individually for each one. He takes time individually for us. He doesn't have to. We've got the Bible that tells us how to live. We've got examples in the Bible and in our lives that show us how to live. He could just say, hey, you know what you're supposed to do? Now do it. If you mess up, ask for forgiveness and keep going. But he has a plan individually for us. He loves us each individually as much as he loves everybody. That's so amazing. That's so powerful. That's such a, a cool thing. He guides us individually. He plans for us individually. And he shows us that with Peter. Peter, who most people would have probably forgiven, but they also would have continually reminded him, hey, you know, Peter, you're forgiven, but remember that time that you really messed up? Hey, Peter, remember how you used to be so loud and obnoxious saying how much you love Jesus and, and talking about how you'd never fail and then you failed? Well, let's go. And like they would have done that, but Jesus just says, hey, I'm going to lead you step by step until you can begin to forgive yourself because I'm already forgiven you. And then I'm going to show you that there is a plan for your life, a plan individually, a plan to, to, to bring my word to others. And that's so amazing. And then he looks at each of us and does the same thing. Because all of us have things in our past that we wish hadn't happened. All of us wish we could rewind and just erase that. But that's not how life works. And there are definitely people that won't let us forget that. But Jesus looks at us and says, that's not the ending point, guys. That is the point where you learn and you grow and you see that you have more to offer. You see that I see you individually. I love you individually. I have a quote, and this is actually directly from Peter. I got it from the Bible, not when we talked. Um, <laughs> after, your reason of suffer after your season of suffering, God in all his grace will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Peter knows each of those things more than anyone. He knows for a fact that there will be seasons of suffering. I wish so much, and I've said this before, I wish so much that I could tell you, hey, if you give your life to Jesus, if you truly look at him and you start to follow him and, and you just do everything you can to be a disciple, no more suffering. That'd be awesome. We would be packed in here in every church all the time, literally all the time, because that's such an amazing thing. Now, one day in eternity, there'll be no more suffering, but on earth, there's going to be suffering. I'm sorry, there is. There are going to be losses. There are going to be failures. There are going to be problems. We're going to mess up. Peter shows us this because Peter, the rock of the church, messed up. He failed. He made the wrong choice. And yet, suffering is not the end of it. Because God's grace, his individual love for us, his plan for us, his forgiveness will restore. That's awesome. It will restore us. It will give us a chance to restore, restart. 
confirm. That means saying, hey, you can do this. I am with you every step of the way. You can do this. Strengthen. On our own, we can't do it. But he gives us his strength. He gives us the strength to accomplish things. He, he, he helps us. He not only calls us to do something, but he helps us and gives us the preparation and everything we need to do it. And then establishes us. And so when Peter wrote this, when Peter said this, when Peter lived this, he knew for a fact this was true because he had been as low as you can go. And I said it way back around Easter. We talk about the denials and we talk about Judas' betrayal as very different things because they ended very differently. And each of them had very different motivations. Judas's was by greed. Peter's was by fear. But both of them were betrayals of Jesus. Both of them were betrayals of what he stood for. And yet, he looked to Peter and said, Hey, you are forgiven. Now comes the hard part. You have to forgive yourself and live that. And it's so amazing that it was individual. Like, I cannot say that enough. Because it would be so easy to just put, it all, put us all in a box, all in a lump, and say, hey, you're all the same. You all just follow him, and then that's good. But he's like, I love you all. And I have a plan for each of you. Now let's go to the next verse. Verse 18. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and, uh, and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Ah, my great-grandmother did not necessarily follow the part of that where when you're young, you can dress yourself and go wherever you want to go. I remember, if you look at my old school pictures, which have been erased from history, uh, I did not dress like I dress now, and I had like a little part on my hair, so very, all the way through senior year, by the way. But uh, again, erased for history. Um, but what is so amazing, before I talk more about this passage, is again, this was individual. Because he looks to Peter, and Peter is probably still reeling from what had just happened. And, and I don't know if he got it then, or if over time he kind of looked back and was like, oh, oh, I see what he was doing. Because it, it's, it's such a hard thing, and sometimes we really get things right away. And sometimes we basically have to walk into a wall three times before we understand it. And so with Peter, he's probably still thinking about that and still wondering and still like, what can I do? How can I do better? And Jesus immediately starts treating him like a disciple again. Jesus doesn't say, okay now. I just forgave you. And so I want you to go back and I want you to relearn everything. I want you to redo everything and then you know, you're going to be an assistant to John for a while. And then over time, he immediately starts treating him like a disciple again. He's like, hey, follow me, let's go. And then he tells him how he's going to die. Now, for us, if Jesus walked up to you and said, hey, this is how you're going to die and win, that's a little shaking, right? Like, that's a little like, ah, you know, I love you, Jesus, and I'm glad I get to die for you, but that's a lot to know. But for Peter, this was huge. Because it's kind of like if you want, uh, if you're going to be, let's say somebody is studying to be a lawyer. And so 
they're getting ready to go into law school and they kind of are struggling and they feel like they're behind and all of a sudden somebody comes up to them and says, hey, you're going to lose your first law case. Now on the surface, that seems like an insult. But when you really look at it, it's like, oh, well, that means I'm going to become a lawyer. Like, that's a success. That means, yeah, I'm going to lose, but I'm going to become a lawyer. So he's not just saying, Peter, you're going to die. He's like, you're going to live this life. You are going to succeed. He assures him, and he promises him, and he guarantees it to him. And that gives Peter everything he needs. He tells him what's going to happen. And yeah, it seems harsh, and it seems rough, but it is so loving and forgiving. Because it's not, you have to earn your way back, it's, Go and live this because you're going to do it. It's such a powerful thing, such a powerful message. And it's not a warning. It's an assurance. It's saying, you can move on now. You can move on from this. You can learn from this. You can grow from this. It's in the past. Your future is set. You can go forward and do so much for me. And so over the course of Peter's life, that probably gave him so much hope and so much relief. And so many things that had been weighing him down are now, like the tension from that is probably fading and it became fuel. And he's like, Jesus says that I'm going to do it. Jesus says that I can do it. He says I'm going to make it. He says I'm going to make the finish line. And so he kept going and he kept going. But with that assurance, with that forgiveness, also comes the call to work, the call to tend, the call to follow him, the call to, to live for him. Peter was forgiven, and he was restored, but he still had to keep going. He still had to wake up each day and do the work. He still had to wake up each day and help others. He still had to wake up each day and lead. He still had to wake up each day and live for Jesus. He still had to wake up each day and do his best. It didn't end at his failure, and it didn't end at his forgiveness. Now, Jesus didn't throw it back in his face ever, but he still had to keep going and keep learning and keep growing. C.S. Lewis once said something around forgiveness. There is no use in talking as if forgiveness were easy. We all know the old joke, you've given up smoking once, I've given it up a dozen times. In the same way, I could say of a certain man, have I forgiven him for what he did that day? I've forgiven him more times than I can count. For we find that the work of forgiveness has to be done over and over and over again. This works in terms of forgiveness for others, but also, and maybe more difficultly, in forgiveness of ourselves. You see, because it would have been very easy for Peter to never allow himself to move past that moment of failure, because that was big. It was major. And to Peter, that's the worst thing that anyone's ever done ever, to deny his Savior three times. And yet, he allowed Jesus to forgive him, And then he eventually forgave himself and kept moving, but it took work. And there were probably times where he was preaching to a new church or or talking to a a potential believer, and they're like, hey, weren't you the guy that said you didn't even know him? What do you know? And it probably got thrown in his face, just like it probably got thrown in Paul's face, just like it probably got thrown in Thomas's face, just like you can go through the line of every Christian ever who has ever messed up, which, spoiler alert, is all of us. I hope that wasn't a surprise for some of you. And it's going to get thrown in your face, not by God, but by others. And so you almost have to re-forgive yourself. Now, as far as Jesus is concerned, once you've asked for forgiveness, that's it. 
but we know how the world works, and we know that it's hard, and we know how we work. I know for myself, I hold myself to this ridiculous standard of perfection all the way through my life. Like, I had to get A's. Part of that was my great-grandma, but still, I held myself to that standard, even now. And believe me, and some of you can testify to this, I am not perfect. Good, there was no laughter, that's good. That means it was kind of a surprise, so that's awesome. But I hold myself to this standard, and, and in one sense, I'm not sad about it, because it makes me try harder. In the other sense, I'm not very forgiving of myself. So last week, youth, uh, we played three-on-three basket. And so it was my team versus Rob's team, and each of us had two teams. And uh, my team won, because my team always wins. And um, I hit, it was just a 21, I hit five of eight three-pointers. And that is because literally the only thing I can do in basketball is make three-pointers. Uh, way back, way back, when I first started ministry, uh, there was a girl who was going to college to play basketball that came to our church, and so every day at lunch I would shoot 100 three-pointers to practice so that I could hang with her in games. And so I still can shoot, that's it. I can't run, I can't play defense. I can barely pass, I'm short, so I can't dunk, that's a joke, but I can hit threes. But this was pointed out to me, and I knew that I was doing it, so I'd hit three, I believe, and two in a row, and then I missed two in a row, and I apologized to my team. It wasn't like, oh man, you know, next time, it's like I sincerely was apologizing, because I felt like I'd failed. I was still at about 50% there, and I felt like I'd failed. And Nate, who was playing on my side, was like, dude, you scored like all our points. But still, I was holding on to those misses. I ended up making a few more, and again, we won, but, but I hold on to those misses. I am not very forgiving of myself. I don't have very much grace for myself. You think I do that with basketball? Believe me, it happens with preaching, too and with literally everything else that I do. And I know that I need to work on it. And I understand and I teach that Jesus forgives me and has grace for me, but it's so hard. So when I say that it takes work to live a life of forgiveness, when it takes work to, to, to live that life, to grow, to move past our mistakes, I know this from experience because it's hard to forgive ourselves. Sometimes it's easier to forgive others. But Jesus forgives us as soon as we ask. And he forgives us individually. We're not on a conveyor belt. We're not in a factory individually. He loves us individually. And so we may be reminded of our failures by other failures, by others, by ourselves. But keep going. Because his love never fails. Because his plan for your life is perfect and it never fails. And he has a plan for a future and a hope. And it's for us individually. And it never ends. The work never ends. But neither does his grace, his love, his hope. And all of that is for us individually just as much as it's for Peter. Going to the next verse. Um, Peter turned around and saw behind him the disciple Jesus loved. The one who had leaned over to him during... Uh, leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, 
Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. So the rumor spread among the community of believers that the disciple wouldn't die. But that isn't what Jesus said at all. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? The disciple is the one who testifies to these events and has recorded them here, and we know that his account of these things is accurate. So that's John talking. And I've said this before, but, but I love uh, the personality of the disciples. I love John's personality coming through. I love, apparently, the, the brother relationship between Peter and John, because John pointed out when he beat Peter to the tomb, and then here again, he points out when Peter is immediately asking about him, and it's like, hey, that's not what Jesus said, I'm accurate, and so he takes this opportunity, and it's so cool, it shows us that, that God allows us to still be ourselves, but, but with him in our hearts, and so I also love that technically John did live to the second coming in a different way than he imagined, but you know, he got to see it. Peter does what we all do from time to time. He had been preached to. He had been forgiven. He had his life back on track. He immediately looks to somebody else. Hey, what about them? Hey, you know, I, I did this. What about them? What's their life going to be? What's their uh, teaching going to be? What's their discipleship? How come their life is different? We all do that from time to time. I do this. Why do they do that? I, this happened to me. How come that didn't happen to them? How come they didn't get this punishment? How come, you know, you pulled me over when that car is going twice as fast? Not from personal experience. A little bit from personal experience. Um, but Jesus reminded him and us that the individual plan he has for each, other's, each of our lives isn't just for our benefit. It's not just, hey, for you. I have an individual plan, but then you get to decide what everybody else does. It's for everyone to have the individual plan, everyone to have the individual relationship, everyone to have the chance to live for him, to have that personal relationship. And it's such a powerful challenge to Peter, to us. Decide for yourself. Don't decide based on what happens to somebody else or what doesn't happen to somebody else. Decide for yourself. Live your life. This does not mean don't care. It doesn't mean don't advise. It doesn't mean don't be aware of others. We're supposed to help our fellow believers. It means you look at your life and you live your life. And you set the example. You build that life. You teach. You be like Jesus. You show people who you can be with him. One more quote. Comparison doesn't focus on what God has for me. It focuses on keeping up with others. Often we like to have our cake and eat it too. It took me a while to understand that phrase. But basically that means, if you don't know and I assume everybody knows, it means we want to have that piece of cake, that last piece of cake. We want to eat it, but we want it to still be there. And so we want people to let us live for Jesus in our way, to, to follow him, to teach, to, to not have others constantly on our case. But then we also want to be able to do whatever we want to them and to criticize them and to you know, be able to tell them how they should be doing it. Now again, this does not mean don't offer advice. It doesn't mean don't aware, be aware. It doesn't mean don't pray. It means 
that we are all called to follow him. And we have to trust that the individual plan he has for our lives is perfect because it is. And we have to trust that the forgiveness he offers us, he also offers to others because he does. And we have to have that same grace and understanding and love. And we have to grow and we have to show people and we have to live out that life. Again, be aware and care and love and help and feed and tend. But follow your path, not theirs. Don't worry about the rewards or the punishments that somebody else gets. We have to live our lives as disciples. We all follow the same word. We all follow the same Lord. We all know the call. We all know the commandments. We all know who he is. It's kind of like if in football, the quarterback, and we'll just say Burrow because you guys like that. And so let's say Joe Burrow, he's a pretty good quarterback. Let's say that they're getting ready to play the Steelers. And he's like, man... I don't really like how much uh, press the receiver's getting, so I'm going to throw it, and then I'm going to run out and catch it. That's not going to work very well for him. Even if he's fast enough to catch it, he's going to get clobbered, to take a technical term. And if he's so worried about how the receiver is prepping, and he doesn't prep himself, if he's so worried about the relationship between the coach and the receiver that he doesn't build that relationship, then he's no longer a good quarterback. He's basically Ryan Tannehill. I'm a Titans fan. I'm allowed to say that. But when he focuses on what it means to be a quarterback and he works with the coach and he follows his plan and the receiver also follows his plan and the blockers also follow their plans and they're all working with the coach and they're all doing their best and they're all truly trying to follow that plan, that guidance, then man, that's when they win. That's what it looks like. And that's what it looks like for Christianity. That's what it looks like for our church, for our faith. Working together. Each of us following him. Not different lords. Not different commandments. But but different ways. Different callings. There's so many different things going on in this church. Some of you are amazing at singing. Some of you are amazing at tech stuff. Some of you are amazing at other things that happen in the church. And I know them all. I just stopped listening. At financial, I'm not going to keep going. But if our financial team decided they were going to switch place with Sean and the praise team, that's not working out on either level, probably. I, I don't know for a fact. I'm just guessing that that's not something anybody on any of those teams really wants to happen. But man. When they all are following their own call and they're all looking at him and only him. When they're all allowing everyone else to look at him. And when they're setting that example and when they're showing what he can do in their life. How powerful. How amazing. How perfect that is. Because we cannot outplan God. The reason he has our individual plan is because he knows our strengths better than we could know our strengths. And he knows our weaknesses better than we can know our weaknesses. And he knows that we can do it. And he knows that they can do it. We just have to keep giving it to him. The last song we sang, I think, it kept saying, he is for you. He is for you. The creator of all. The most powerful being possible is for you individually for you, 
For all of us, yes, but for you. And so if you follow him, you give him your life, you live for him, and then you help others to do the same. You set that example. You stop worrying about comparison and the traps that come with that. But you just focus on the joys that come with serving him, and you help others to do the same. Again, you set the example. You live like him. You learn from Peter. You learn from yourself. How amazing that will be. We are better together. But with him, that's all we need. We can do this. Each of us can do this. Everyone can do this. All we have to do is follow him and help others to see the way. That's all I got.